Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back to our weekly podcast. This week, we're talking about overcoming anxiety. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, family doc. I am the medical director for the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services. We oversee about 40,000 foster children every day. Hotline for child abuse, we get a ton of calls, about 18,000 a month that we have to look through and investigate. But all in all, it's a great job, and I love what I do, and I get a lot of experience. And then, you know, every now and then on TV, I'm working now with Dr. Phil, and it's great. And I think that in general, we need to be more aware of our mental health, and we need to be able to connect that with our life and not let it overtake our life. So I think it's important. This week, we're going to be talking about overcoming anxiety. We're going to be talking about what is anxiety? Is it just like boys have it, girls have it, men have it, women have it, adults, teens? Who has it? Where does it come from? How do we fix it? Is there a warning sign? We're going to be taking a good hard look at anxiety and what it is all about. We're also going to leave with those four points that are very important to look at and then delve deeper into them if you want. We're going to have our expert on. We're going to talk about anxiety. He's got a lot of history with anxiety. He's, he's dealt with it. He has a program. He's going to talk about his book, and there's really some really great tools you're going to hear about. But before we get going, we're going to start with the Huffington Post and their three choices with Carolyn Gregoire because these articles are unbelievable each week and they're really insightful. But before we get going and to start with the uh, anxiety stuff today, we're going to talk to the Huffington Post where we talk to the very talented Carolyn Gregoire, who's going to talk a little bit about the Huffington Post choices that she puts up online to talk about really just the three that she thinks got the most hits or the most importance for her. And, you know, no matter what she picks, it's always great. But I want to hear from her. Carolyn, you with us? I am. How Thanks are... so much for having me. Thank you. So tell me what you picked this week and why. So this week, um, one of our big stories that um, got a lot of traffic and a lot of, um, a lot of comments was a piece on research about how people tend to get happier as they get older. Hmm. Um, so I wrote about, um, you know, I think we sort of have this preconceived notion that, that your college years and your 20s are, are the best years of, of your life. But um, the research really suggests that that's not the case, actually. Um, happiness has been shown to peak at the age of 69. And there's, um, there's data showing that life tends to be sort of a U-curve. So we're... Um, we're pretty happy in general in young adulthood. Um, and sort of like life satisfaction and, and happiness drops a little bit towards middle age. And then in the 50s, it rises again through end of life. That's so, so interesting. It's, really, it's some really positive um, data. And it's, it's wonderful to see that science is really backing up the idea that um, throughout life's journey, we can find happiness and satisfaction. It's not dependent on youth. And I guess, is that based on life experiences really building and giving us a perspective in addition to biological changes, you think? It is. And there's so many factors, but a big part of it is that as we get older, um, our idea of happiness actually shifts. So when we're younger, we tend to prize extraordinary experiences and, and big moments like falling in love and um, getting a promotion or, you know, a big exciting yes. night out, whereas um, older people... They find value in smaller pleasures and, and comfort and just enjoying life as it is. And I think um, there's also been data that's suggesting that um, that once we've accomplished some major goals in life, we, we sort of chill out and are able to be happier because some that striving is past us. Yeah, and I mean, I was reading through the article there that in there are some words from Buddha 
that peace comes from within, do not seek it without. And I think that's so very important, but that's probably the lesson we're learning as we get older and getting more comfortable with that. Absolutely. There's, um, acceptance is such a big piece of it. And that it's hard. it takes a long time to learn to accept your life circumstances. So um, older people tend to just be a little bit more at peace with whatever is going on in their lives. I think that's great. I can definitely see why that was number one. What's number two? Now, the second one is 11 Habits of People Who Never Worry. Um, this is another popular article this week, I think, because we all, or many of us, are, are warriors oh, yeah. and um, would rather not be. So um, worry is just it's something that's so unproductive and that often like dominates so much of our thoughts. But um, people who um, are able to get through life without being sort of bogged down by worry tend to have a few things in common. They focus on the present. Um, they, they don't get caught up in thinking about all of the future consequences of some perceived problem that they're ruminating, they can just say, okay, this is what's happening right now, rather than projecting it into the future. Yeah. And they also tend to, to practice mindfulness to kind of um, mentally step away from the issue at hand, and that helps you to, to put it in perspective. I guess I would ask, like, would worrying, is it really like you're worrying about something that is about to happen or may happen, or do you worry more about things that have happened and they're kind of haunting you? I think we worry about everything. Um, it's, it tends to be more um, projected into the future. I think worrying about the past is um, is common, but for many of us, we're just we're afraid of what's going to happen next, or we're just sort of going over something that is is happening in that moment. And in, a lot of times, our worry about the past projects the past into the future. So this you know, a terrible thing happened yesterday, and, and what are the, what's the ripple effect from that event? Now, talk to me a little bit about some of the biology in here that you learned about how the brain works maybe differently in warriors versus non-warriors. So it's, um, studies have found that, that brains of warriors and non-warriors, like you said, actually work completely differently. Um, and so warriors um, would look at negative images and um, and their brains would be more active, whereas um, non-warriors would look at a negative image, and their brain would not be as active. That's so, so interesting. So they would, um, yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. amazing, yeah. actually. Yeah. So warriors, they have a, a hard time putting a positive spin on negative situations. And so, is that more of a genetic, biological production of anxiety within your brain, or is that just you think from living a life that you were trained that way? I think, like most things, it's a mix of um, nature and nurture. Right. And so yeah. that's that's kind of where I think medicine has to come into play if that kind of negativity really overwhelms you and then that anxiety production shuts you down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, from sleep to being able to function. So that's very interesting. What's number three? So uh, our third piece is um, a story about work-life balance and sort of the, the issues we have in this country, particularly with work-life balance and what some other countries are doing um, that are that have been effective in helping people to, um, to not be so overworked. And this, um, a lot of people are talking about this recently because of news that um, there was a law in France that people couldn't check their email after 6 p.m. And this turned out to be um, not quite exactly what people thought it was originally. So it's not a law saying that all French workers have to 
um, unplug from work email after 6 p.m. But it is um, it's a pretty large labor deal that encourages um, a lot of employees to disconnect from work email and calls after hours. Uh, so it's a really a really positive um, really positive movement. And you know, France is just one of um, a number of countries, mostly in Europe, that are just doing wonderful things to help people, um, you know, to have a more sustainable work life. So many countries give their workers six weeks of paid vacation per year. That sounds good. And we know that vacations are so important to mental health and to physical health as well. And, um, you know, we're seeing, like, countries in Scandinavia, like Denmark and Finland, um, provide really wonderful resources for parents. So they give everyone a guaranteed child care so that parents are not... um, you know, they're, they're not kind of Stressed. burning the candle yeah. on both ends. Right. No, I think it, it's a win-win for everybody because very little crisis or real work gets done within a work day that can't be done in a shorter work day or a shorter work week. And just the quality of life then jumps and it improves for everybody. And it, it's just all over. It's a great thing. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's just the data is very conclusive that Working more hours does not mean being more productive. Absolutely. Like we know this without any question. So Absolutely. And I, now it's a matter of sort of changing the way that we think about work and changing policies within corporations so that people actually can work just an eight-hour day maybe instead of a 10-hour day and go home and not feel the pressure to keep working and keep checking in on their devices. Absolutely. Because it's not healthy. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, even a five- or six-hour workday is much more productive than an eight-hour workday where somebody's just on the computer playing around because they don't even have enough work to do or they've done it all in a shorter period of time, and it's really quality versus quantity. I think they're Absolutely. great articles. Thank you very much. So we Thank will talk you so to you much. next week. Take care. I'll talk to you next week. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. So joining me today is Greg Jantz. He's a psychologist, certified eating disorder specialist. He's a chemical dependency counselor. Tons of stuff. He's been all over the radio, all over TV. He's been on Dr. Phil, The 700 Club. You founded a place called The Center, and I want you to tell me a little bit more about that, and you have a book. So thank you for joining me today to talk about anxiety. Oh, it's an important topic, yes. This is our 30th year, and I might add our 30th year of treating anxiety and depression, and we're seeing a real increase. We really believe you've got to treat this, though, from a, probably a whole-person perspective, a different, yeah. different vantage point. Yeah, it can't be medicine only, or it can't be one thing. It has to be really a multi-level treatment plan, or people need tools to contain this and be able to sustain themselves. They do, and, and you know, too often, you know, we feel anxious. You go, well, I, I, I need that pill. i got to feel differently, and that's where we stop. Absolutely. And so I want to I say today I'm not anti-medication, but I just yeah, want to be sure... We cover all the bases. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I write prescriptions, but that's not the first thing I reach for because I really need people to dig within themselves and get strong because they do usually have those tools within them. So, like, and you know, I believe that as well, and that's an exciting piece because it's there, and there are permanent solutions. Yeah, and it's it's not always genetics; it can be life circumstances. But if it's not one thing, it's another. You need the toolbox. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we're finding right now is there's so much chronic stress. And chronic untreated stress, you know, it's going to push you over the edge eventually, emotional exhaustion, physical exhaustion, and, you know, your body begins to respond. And so we're seeing a lot of folks who they've had some issues that just haven't been attended to that have been real chronic. And, of course, it's emerged, you know, through anxiety and through depression. Yeah, no, absolutely. Tell me something. Why do you think we're seeing an increase? Do you think it's a society thing with 
stress, the economy, those kinds of things? Or do you really think there's these genetic diagnosable things that now we have nomenclature and names and we can label things? You know, Doc, I think it's both. I think it's certainly we live, in, and I see a lot with our youth, uh, there's an intensity. There's an intensity to our culture. Uh, we add technology into this. You know, there's some interesting studies right now. You know, the more time you spend online, the more depressed you are. You know, so, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and so we need to look at what are we doing that potentially is contributing to this issue. And I'm not saying you abandon your online presence, but, but, you know, you need to look at what am I doing that could be increasing this. So I think there's definitely the culture. I think people, you know, forget to look at nutrition. You know, if I'm doing those 20 cups of coffee, um, you know, every day, or, and I'm from Seattle, so I'm doing that every day over yeah. time, it's going to probably make me anxious. Absolutely. <laughs> so. And, you know, many people think, like, um, they come to me, and I'm sure they come to you and say, how do I get rid of this? I don't think there's really getting rid of. I think it's managing. What do you think? I think so. I think it's managing and, and understanding, first of all, there are some things I can control, and what are those? And, you know, just the simple fact that, you know, add a little bit of exercise into a person's life, increase their water intake. I know these sound really basic, but am I doing the basic foundational uh, issues that I need to cover, uh, or am I so anxious that I've stopped all my self-care? Okay. I want to read you an email I just got from Melanie from Toronto, and she's Alrighty. asking... How can I help a family member whose anxiety is causing her to miss out on holidays and other family gatherings? It seems like she dis dissects every little thing that we do or is said to her or about her to bottle up something and then she kind of blows up after several months of whatever. So it's like we're together and then all of a sudden she's blown up because of the last time we were together. How can I help her? Oh, that's such a great question, and I think it's representative of many folks that have families uh, or somebody in the family that, you know, there's something going on and you don't know what it is. Yeah. And so the first thing I'm going to obviously be interested in is, is there's been something traumatic that's happened with a certain family member, and you try to manage it, you try to go to family events and navigate it, but, you know, it hits you. It's like that uh, delayed trauma. It hits you later, yeah. and, and you feel a little anxious. So I'm going to say, first of all, that's probably relatively common to have yeah. that situation. So, I think so. Yeah. So how do we help? Well, I think if, if a person's anxious, what they tend to do uh, is they're, they're, they're looking through the lens of hypersensitivity. Um, we're worried about ourselves. We have a lot of self-doubt. Uh, we also may have a tendency, and this is hard to look at, but we may have a tendency to read into motives of other people or other family members that may not be there. Remember, right. you're hypersensitive, and so you're going to potentially read into situations or somebody makes a comment, and, and you are judging that and, and loading it with a lot more that may not be there. Right, and I mean, how do we know that it, you know, Melanie is writing in, and that's great, but how do we know it's not her with the anxiety, and she's just pushing it off onto somebody else or reading it, like you say, into somebody else? Yeah, exactly. So exactly. There, there are times yes. you have to look at yourself, especially if you think you're looking at somebody who's anxious. It might just be you. It might be. And also, how am I responding? What's so important, too, is how do I prepare myself for these difficult situations? For example, um, what am I doing? Am I going into a situa situation on a scale of 1 to 10? My anxiety is already a 9, and I step into it. Of course, it's going to push to a 10, but what am I doing to lower that and be proactive getting into a situation? So, in other words, you can really help somebody who you think is anxious by helping yourself. You know what? I believe that's true. Yes. Well said. Got it. Okay. So, uh, 
Thank you, Melanie. Hope that helps you. I've got another question for you. Why are there any hidden causes, do you think, of anxiety that may be overlooked? Or do we really look at society and, you know, the genetics and that covers mostly everything? You know, one of the uh, ones that I believe gets overlooked, and I'm so glad you asked that question, is is just uh, our, our diet and what we're putting in our mouth. Ah, tell me um, more. Tell me yes. more. Yes. Okay. Well, how am I, you know, if, if, if I'm high sugar, and, and I mentioned a, a 20 cups of coffee because I recently had somebody that their average was 15 to 20 cups of coffee a day. Wow. And they, they had done a lot of different uh, things to try to get help, a lot of counseling, et cetera, but nobody had ever asked the question, what are you putting in your mouth? <laughs> you, know, yes. you know, and, you know, that's important. Um, are you using alcohol uh, or misusing prescription drugs to try to lower anxiety, and in the long run, you're creating more? So I think one of the hidden causes uh, could be not looking at our nutrition. Uh, do we have blood sugar issues? Uh, do we have a thyroid issue? Right. I see frequently a person may have a, a hyper or a hypothyroidism. In other words, it's not functioning properly, and it's creating a lot of physical anxiety, but it's never been looked at. Right. Many times I see people, and I always medically clear them. I get blood work on them and all that kind of doctor, yes, that yes. boring doctor stuff, to make sure there's not a medical problem being disguised. And, and I think that's, you know, when you, when you do that, we're, we're really covering uh, all those bases because yeah. a lot of times, you know, it could be something really medical, and a person feels like it's something that's wrong with them, or, or psychologically, I'm, something must be terribly wrong with me. But right. I think it can be really, um, uh, boy, it's just, it's really relieving to know, you know what, there could be a medical reason for this, or a health reason. Even, even right down to, we look at digestion and digestive issues. Do you have uh, even nutrient deficiencies? Yeah, no, 100%. What do you think about sleep and its role? I think oh, it's a big player. I was player. going to mention that next. I used to work in sleep research, so that's one that I'm uh, aware of. And the importance of our sleep cycles and spending enough time in that stage four sleep. Yeah. Now, if you're doing things in, that create disruptive sleep and you're really not getting the amount of time you need in that stage four, that more deep sleep, uh, you're going to be, you're going to feel anxious. I mean, physiologically, physically, you're going to feel anxious. Yeah, so, absolutely. Sl- Sleep hygiene, super important. I agree. Now, are you noticing any gender differences in anxiety disorders or the causes of them? Well, I do notice that we're seeing more men who are coming in now than ever before uh, for both depression and anxiety. That's so interesting. So that's maybe, maybe a little bit of a new trend for us. Uh, we've seen more uh, females in the past. And, uh, you know, I always, speaking of that, I always want to look at what's going on hormonally as well. Yeah. Are the imbalances there? So that's back to the medical piece. Now, do you think these men that are, you're, we're seeing more of is just because they're more comfortable from a society standpoint that it's not such a stigma? Or do you really think that there's an increase? I think there's, there's probably an increase, but I think it's probably been there for a while. Uh, you know, we're, our facility is a 40 bed facility and of that we'll have eight to 10 men and, uh, at any one time. And that's a lot higher than we've ever seen before. And it really is, it's men coming in and maybe it's been that chronic stress or work stress, but there's probably been some chronic issues. Maybe they've attempted to deal with them through addictive behaviors, yeah, sexual addiction, yeah. alcohol. And after a while, that hasn't worked either. And, and they've created a, you know, really ultimately a, a bigger mess. Well, and, I, and so they come for help. I, I fully agree. And I also am really happy to see that 
you know, maybe men are more comfortable dealing with their emotional sides of themselves and their ability to function better because in general, you know, there's good treatments out there. So medicating and using substances to band-aid is not the answer. I agree. I want to, yeah. I want to, we have a voicemail I want to play for you. All righty. Hi, Dr. Sophie. This is Matt calling from Santa Monica. Just had a question regarding um, anxiety. I definitely suffer from anxiety, and it definitely affects my thinking at times. Um, I just wanted to know, it doesn't really affect my decision-making so much, but it definitely affects my life and my quality of life. At what point um, should I start being concerned about it, and are there any warning signs that I should really be aware of to uh, seek help if it gets to that point? really appreciate your opinion on this. Thanks so much. Okay, so that's a very interesting voicemail because, and I want you to answer this, everybody has it, right? Yes, we do. I think all of our listeners are worried, like, am I, I have it, so does that mean there's something wrong? No, I think it's a part of all of us. When is it a problem, though? You know, and that's a good point because we all uh, may be prone to some worry. You know, I think of anxiety when I begin to get physical symptoms. And, you know, worry is kind of a mental process, but I can work myself up, and I've got sweaty palms, and my heart rate goes up, my blood pressure goes up. And so, you know, anxiety means I'm, I'm entered into getting some physical symptoms. And right. for me, that's the sign that, you know what, um, it tends to be progressive, tends to build over time. That's, for me, the point I want to say, okay, well, I need to step, step in here and uh, get some help. And what are I, those warning signs? Like, like our... Well, we, we headed to one of them. Yeah, if I'm avoiding people or situations or social situations, uh, if I'm having trouble, I, I you know I just had somebody the other day says you know I, I broke down in tears in the supermarket because I couldn't make a decision on what to buy. Okay. Uh, and so that's an example. The, just the decision making is is hampered. Um, I may find myself doing more escapism behaviors, even positive ones. Maybe I'm overusing time on the internet. I'm looking for numbing activities, so over escapism. So avoidance is also the escapism. It w- I would say avoid- avoidance would definitely be escapism. Yes. All right. So you were, you know, the warning signs we're looking for, are like you're avoiding the rest of the world. You're trying to isolate yourself. You're tearful. You're kind of like paralyzed in your decision making. What else? <laughs> Well, I would go back to even sleep. Am I waking up during the night? And, and maybe my heart is, is pounding where I'm waking up and I'm restless. I can't get back to sleep. So my sleep cycle's been uh, affected. You know, even the basics of appetite. Maybe I have noticed I'm, I'm, I just don't feel like eating. I don't feel normal. So when, when uh, any listener is hearing or feeling any of those things, then they should really start to look at what's going on because something's triggering something and you're getting an overflow of anxiety. Yes, yes. And sometimes, you know, we may not be able to figure it out right away, or it could be multiple issues. Um, but I think if it's hit you physically and your sleep, I, for me, that's, you know, that's a sign that goes, okay, I, I just need to be big enough and bold enough here to ask for help. Got it. Okay. I want to read you an email we got from Kevin from Brentwood. Are there different types of anxiety or just different severities? Oh, that's good. You know, there are different types of anxiety. And one one type is called general anxiety. It's just that free-floating sense, and you're always feeling anxious. You know, I think of it on a continuum of intensity. There's times that that may get real intense. There's some people that may have what we'll call social anxiety, more around people or social situations. Okay. Uh, one that we're seeing more of is, is an anxiety that really turns it more into a, a panic attack. 
um, I had a guy just this last week driving down the freeway. He thought he was having a heart attack, and he was mm. in the center lane, and, yeah. you know, he worked himself over to get over to the side of the road, thought he was really literally dying. Wow. And, you know, 10 minutes later, uh, you know, breaking out in a sweat, and the heart's pounding, and, and he realizes, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. What happened? <laughs> you know, he had a panic attack. And that could be the first time that happens to somebody, right? Like, you don't have to have a history of that. It can just hit you, right? Yes, it can just, I think at times... Uh, you know, it's the body's way of kind of screaming back at you, saying, look, <laughs> do something here. It's a wake-up call. The, yeah, the body is is going to act out for you, ultimately. And and it'll show you, either through your sleep or your appetite or whatever, but we're talking about those things. But the panic is kind of like the ultimate showing of the body to your, to you that, like, wake up. I think so. You're on I overload? I think so, yes. All right. Um, Holly from Providence is sending us an email. It says, I've been taking Xanax for 15 years and would like to wean myself off. Is there a safe way to do this? I mean, many people, I'm sure, are in the same situation where they've gotten a Band-Aid of this or they've gotten something that works. But, you know, after a while, it's you got your rely on yourself. You got to get some tools, don't you think? I think so. And uh, this might be a great question for you to, to add to because of your expertise, but um, I, I think it's a careful, calculated approach where I know that I'm dealing with the issues I need to deal with. Um, and, you know, I get so accustomed, Xanax, you know, I get so accustomed, that's just kind of my answer, um, you know, to, and, and I need you to look at other answers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I work with professional athletes, and I'm just always surprised at the number of prescriptions made for for football players and so forth because, you know, they get intense and, and anxious before a game, and so then we, we, you know, sometimes just knowing they have that pill they could take, other times they take it, yeah. you know, and I think we need to be careful about that. Yeah, it becomes crutchy. Yes. So, yeah, I think anybody who's on medication like Holly is writing in should talk to the doctor who's prescribing it, and really all medication should be titrated down slowly because your body has to get used to being without it and be able to have their own mechanism, your own mechanism kick in, but there's also the psychological piece to the use of those medicines, and you got to be able to strengthen both pieces of your physical and mental body and mental self before you take off these medicines because you could collapse, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And so uh, this is why I always work with your doctor. And sometimes um, we need to be careful. I, maybe I'm on more than one medication. And just un- understanding this could be a much right. bigger picture there. A- absolutely, in interactions. So, Holly, talk to your doctor. All right, so I have another question for you. We're not just talking anxiety is for adults. Anxiety can be for teens and children, don't you think? I'm seeing more and more teenagers in particular uh, with uh, really some pretty classic anxiety symptoms for a teenager. Like what? Tell me. Well, um, where they're withdrawing socially, uh, where they're, maybe you feel like they've got their ear, earbuds in and they're escaping through just the music and they're feeling um, they're not performing well in school academically. Maybe there's some struggle. Uh, there's a lot of comparisons. You know, the two questions that the teenager has is, who am I? And then number two is, where do I fit in? Right. And, and if I... And if I'm struggling and I don't feel good about myself and I feel like I don't fit in anywhere, uh, you know, those two things alone can create a lot of anxiousness for the teenager. Right. And so that's not new stuff, though. But why more anxiety? Yeah, I think more anxiety. I'm going to toss uh, um, 
technology in there. I think kids that are young people that are, have unmonitored, uh, without good boundaries around technology, uh, you know, we see that the young people sleeping with their smartphones so they don't miss a text. Right, right, right. And, I mean, <laughs> you know? how yeah. does, and that, that anxiety is just kept, you know, that's a fire that keeps burning because even if you don't have the genetics building it, you have that phone in your hand and you're just anticipating. Absolutely. And, you know, anticipating. And also, um, you know, I, I have kids and we don't allow any texting on the way to school. One text can, can throw a kid off for the whole day. What do you mean? You know, Tell there's, me. Well, there, there's like cyber bully behavior. Yeah. Somebody, somebody can send you a text in the morning and you are, you know, your kid is, their mind is shattered for the day and they can't even concentrate on what's before them for the day. Right. So right. we need to remember that creates anxiety. Um, so the whole other layer, you know, there's a whole layer of underworld of communication through technology, through all these different apps and kids are involved in all this, I think that technology and the intensity at times uh, can really add to the anxiety. Yeah, and I think it's an important point you're making. We don't realize that, you know, you think your kid's only you're reading a text, but it has an impact on them emotionally, and it may not be until they're sitting in class an hour later where they start to get anxious, panicky, or whatever from whatever the content of that text is. So I think parents really do need, as you say, to really look at that stuff and monitor it. And, you know, technology in the bedroom is not a good place. Oh, no. You know, and I'm, I, I'm just surprised at how many situations that, that we end up seeing where that's been the case or, you know, there's been some bully behavior, there's an, maybe inappropriate uh, pictures being exchanged. I mean, all of this adds up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, at the end of the day, they're children with minds that are not fully developed to make decisions and understand how to navigate that. And it's going to create anxiety. So, yeah, we got to watch that stuff. I have another... Yeah, that, pre, that prefrontal cortex is still working out those <laughs> it decisions. It certainly is. <laughs> all right, I have another voicemail. Hi, doctor. My name is Melissa from Irvine. I take medication for my anxiety. Um, and as my children get older, when and how can I talk to them about my disorder? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think there's that's going to be something that um, I'm going to want to be really careful about. Because Why? one one of the things is our kids are like a sponge as far as they can absorb our emotions. Mm. It's it's like, you know, it's like the angry mom or the angry dad and and they and the kids begin to absorb this. Yeah. Uh, emotionally, so they're like the sponge carrying it. Fear has a real ripple effect in our families. So, you know, you have an anxious family or anxious family member, you know, the whole family can start feeling that way. So I'm going to be really careful about that uh, and how I talk about it. And I guess I have some concerns about the potential effects that could have. Now, the kids may be feeling some things already. I I don't know. Yeah, but you think mom should be coming clean with the fact that she's got something and anxiety can be a thing that you have to get help for? I would I would describe it that probably more in a medical and a health way, and and I would describe what happens to my body so they can have that framework. Um, you know, it's it's just like um, you know, this last year my wife went through uh, uh, chemotherapy for breast cancer. Oh. Okay, a lot of anxiety, a yeah. lot of things from the chem, and, and we have kids, so explaining to the kids, you know, what's what's going on, and uh, you know, sometimes with anxiety, just 
our cognitions, our thinking. Sometimes we really struggle, and even sometimes we forget things in our short-term memory if we have a lot of anxiety. Absolutely. So, so, so to be open about it, but really to talk about it as a health issue. Okay, that's a very good helpful hint. hint. All right, I have another uh, email from Jack from New Jersey. He's saying, from my vantage point, anxiety is having a large effect on my young son's performance in school and in sports, but he claims that that's not the case. As his father, what are appropriate actions for me to take? Hmm. Oh, you know, and I don't know. I look at it on a degree of severity. Yeah. And what are the symptoms? Because there's some normal anxiousness, uh, particularly with boys in sports, which I always, I think is a, is usually a great thing to do for boys. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot for the boys, depending on the age. There's a lot of comparisons, and you know they they comparing themselves, who's, who's bigger on the team. You know? yeah, and so there's a lot of things that can cause you to feel inferior. Um, but here's the thing. If it really, really is affecting my uh, performance, that's where it's crossing the line. Yeah. Some of this is going to be real normal. Right, and then there's that wake-up call when you cross the line. Yes, and, so and then I think, as a I think parent, it is important to look at it. Yes. yes. So as a parent, how would you advise this dad to take a look at it? Where does he start? Well, I would look at um, look at the two things that's important to look at. Where's where's the son socially? Is this affecting social relationships and friendships? Is the son isolating because of fear? Um, is the son not taking initiative, uh, like on a team? Is being is holding himself back? Um, and we need to talk about this with our teenager, with our son, uh, without a lot of blame. And, and be careful about, well, why didn't you run and catch that ball? You know? right. so be right. careful about that, because those really are, 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 can be really harsh judgments yeah. from, the, from the kid's point of view. And then I think also looking at the quality of your child's life. Are they sleeping and are they eating the things we talk about to see? Are yeah. they also falling off? Yes. Yeah. Got it. And there's times where we need to have some professional assistance. Um, I'm always amazed even how helpful at times even a, a, a person that's a sports psychologist who can really help us uh, build that confidence. Um, you know, there's times that that could be appropriate. Absolutely. There's, and there's nothing wrong with reaching out for help. Yeah. So, Dr. Jantz, tell me a little bit about you. I, I, you know, your expertise on obviously is unbelievable and very valuable to all of our listeners and thank you for all that insight and information. But I want to talk about you a little bit. I want to know a little bit about The Place of Hope, and I want to know about your book and where our listeners can reach that book and get it and also talk to you. Oh, sure, sure. Well, I'm still passionate about our work. I've been doing it for 30 years, and I'm, I really am still passionate. And I really believe we've got to approach things from a whole person. So A Place of Hope is a, is a place where people do come, uh, where you know, it's crossed that line, the anxiousness or the depression. We've crossed that line where we need that help. And uh, we really believe in the team, team so, concept. So, it's a, place, so that's, it's a residential place. You can go yeah. live there and, and you get treatment as a whole person from a whole perspective. Exactly. And what that's is, why what we've is got that? nutritionists on staff. Yeah. We've got, of course, the psychiatry, the counselors. Uh, we even have a fitness person on staff, and we're going to look at every angle. And we do sleep studies, by the way. <laughs> very nice, very nice. And then somebody stays there. What's the average length of stay that they? That well, they... it depends. You know, uh, probably not less than two weeks, but maybe an average of around four weeks. And it's really unique in that it's it's geared towards the person's need. So it's actually we we create a schedule and a team based upon your needs. So from that 
uh, vantage point, it's, it's different than a, a residential place where you just kind of step in and do everything everybody else is doing. Ours is custom designed for what your needs are. Very nice. And it's not really focused on substances, but if substances are a part of that person's life, that's addressed as well? Oh, yes. And we do have the chemical dependency team. And uh, if it's substances or if gambling or sex addiction, uh, whatever we may be doing to, to mood alter that's needs to be addressed. Got it. Okay, tell us a little bit about your book, Overcoming Anxiety, Worry, and Fear, Practical Ways to Find Peace, because it is definitely needed. Well, it's it's my whole person bias, so I'm going to look at everything uh, in, in your life and relationships, and as we talked about today, some of the physical pieces. And uh, I'm a big one, too, just to, what I call renewing the mind and uh, cleaning up our thinking. Uh, but uh, there reaches a point, though, where that anxiety may be so paralyzing that you can't think straight, and we've got to address that. And, you know, there's times where I do feel that uh, a medication can be helpful and the bridge is a bridge for you. Um, but a lot of times, too, if it's been some past trauma that just really and post-traumatic stress, some things that really ha- have not been fully uh, dealt with, or maybe there's some grief and loss in your life, it's gotten pretty complicated, so we want to look at that as well. So the, the book is going to help you kind of walk through. It's more of a workbook in a way because there's questions to address. No, it also it also will tell you if, wow, I've worked through this, I've done these things, but I'm still struggling. And, you know, you need to get some help. Got it. Where can we find it? Well, you can go right to a place of hope, uh, dot com, and, of course, all the online of Amazon, but you can We're happy to help you out. Thank you very much. Dr. Greg Jantz, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, your energy. We will be hitting you up again, and a place of hope sounds like a really good, solid place to go to get your anxiety under control when it's crossed that line. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me today. Bye. So that was Dr. Greg Jantz joining me. He's a psychologist, really uh, focused specialist on anxiety, has a place up in Washington near Seattle. You go live there for a couple of weeks and get your anxiety under control, but really talked a lot about practical ways to deal with anxiety and understanding. We had a lot of great voicemails, emails, all that kind of stuff. So thank you very much. I think it's important, though, that we understand really key points from today's overcoming anxiety. And the one number one thing is that anxiety is we all have it. That is the biggest key we got to understand. You're not ever going to be without it. It just has a different form in me than you may be, or it may be higher or lower intensity, but we all have it and we all should have it. So know that going forward. The issue is, where's it coming from? Some of it is from the way we live and some of it is our genetics, our DNA. So some of us are set up for it. Look around at your family members. Maybe they have it as well. So it's not coming out of the blue, but if it's at a point where it's crossed a line and it's bothering you or interfering with your life, do something about it. Otherwise, we all have it. We all got to live with it and manage it. The other really important tip I think we need to take away from today is there are many components that make anxiety either worse or better, and they have to be staying on our radar. And it's pretty much within the framework of sweep that I use. But the specifics we talked about today with Dr. Uh, Jantz are diet, looking at your sugar input and intake, and looking at the kinds of things that affect like caffeine and and are you eating at the right time and your blood sugar, is it high, is it low? All of those kinds of things have physiologic body changes or uh, ways of increasing or making us feel anxiety. So we got to look at our diet when we have to look at our sleep because sleep is a big indicator when our brains can't shut down to be in a deep sleep like in stage four, which is what we talked about today. 
you're never going to recharge your battery. So you got to be able to look at yourself from a diet and a sleep perspective, especially when you're looking at anxiety. And also, there is a gender difference that Dr. Jantz talked about today that we're seeing a lot more men coming out with their uh, anxiety. And whether that's because they're not using drugs or alcohol as much or they're not working anymore or because men are just getting more comfortable with talking about their feelings and their emotions and some of the struggles, that's good because at the end of the day, everybody then ends up getting the help that they need. And I think it's also very important as a number three to take a look at, you know, what are the kinds of warning signs that we get? How do we know that it's time to reach out to get some help with our anxiety? And I think, you know, we, uh, Dr. Jantz came up with some really good ways to look at yourself and know that that's probably a time to reach out either to your doctor or to somebody, your therapist, if you're in treatment. If you're not, reach to your regular doctor. I mean, they'll give you what you need to do, either a referral or something, but you're looking at avoidance. Are you cutting back in life? Are you staying home more often? Don't get on that freeway. Ah, I won't go to the grocery store. Oh, I won't go out and order food. I'll, I'll have it delivered. Are you isolating yourself? Are you stepping back from your life, your friends, your interactions, so that you don't have to be bothered because it creates too much anxiety? Also looking at things like you're in the grocery store. You gave an example today of someone who's in a grocery store, can't decide what to do, what to buy. They become tearful. They become paralyzed almost from their anxiety. Looking at sleep again, looking at some of the cardiologic functions, your heart rate, sweating, panicky. He talked about a, a person he knows who had a first-time panic attack, at, and it wasn't a young person. It was an adult who kind of thought they were having a heart attack on a freeway. So you can have the physiologic, cardiologic kinds of side effects as well of manifestations of anxiety. So looking at all of those things are good warning signs to let us know it's time to reach for help. And then we also talked about not just adults, teenagers, young children have anxiety. It's not something that is just because we've lived life and now we have problems. It is an innate part of us. As I said earlier, some of it's genetic, some of it is from the life that we've led, led. but nonetheless, teens have it. And things such as technology are only adding to it. So really monitor our teens, look at their sleep, look at how they're functioning in school, look at their friends, look at are they isolating, are they doing any of those warning signs because they can have anxiety as well. So it's not just the adult thing, it can be a teen as well. So we learned a lot today about anxiety. We heard a lot from Dr. Greg Jantz and he's got a great book and I think really take a look at that book because there's a workbook piece to that. So you're gonna have to put some thinking into it, you're gonna have to write some stuff, answer some questions. So. It's really helpful, and it's something you can always then go back to. It's called Overcoming Anxiety, Worry and Fear, Practical Ways to Find Peace. So grab it on Amazon.com or on his website, aplaceofhope.com. There you go. That's anxiety for today. Thank you to all of you guys for listening, all your calls, all your emails, all your texts. I really appreciate it. It's really helpful for us to get everyone's perspective and hopefully give you some helpful information. All of my podcasts are available on my website at www.drsophie.com and on iTunes. My website, again, is www.drsophie.com. My phone app is also available in the iTunes store, so go check it out. It is free, F-R-E-E-E-E. -E -E -E. Also, my voicemail is 1-855-767-4966-247. Call me, leave me a message, tell me what you think, give me some ideas of what you think we need to talk about, but I'm here 24-7. My book great book, I think, Side by Side, the Revolutionary Mother-Daughter Program for Conflict-Free Communication. Those moms and daughters, they need this book because it's going to keep them down, calm, and they're going to have their anxiety under control. So take a look at it. It's a great book, Side by Side. 
Also, follow me Twitter and Facebook. I'm around all the time, so you can check out where I'm at, check out what we're doing. Got some daily quotes for you. Visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And the most important thing is don't forget to sweep.